And what happens in extraordinary moments is that people forget to turn their microphone on. <laughs> so I'll start again. We are living through an extraordinary moment in history. History is unfolding before our very eyes. It's quite overwhelming, isn't it? Not least because, as I've said before, we are off the map. We have no framework for much of what the world is going through. Every time you turn on the news, you never quite know what to expect. We all got up on Thursday morning wondering what the new prime minister was going to say about the cost of living crisis. And by the evening, no one was talking about that. We live in extraordinary times. This cultural moment is one of huge transition, and much of what we experience is the symptoms of that, not the causes. Those causes are huge shifts that have been going on for decades. They're global in scale, they're seismic in impact, and it's very difficult, and it's challenging, and for many a cause of anxiety. There are shifting geopolitical norms seen in a war in Ukraine. There are huge financial challenges seen in the escalating cost of your electricity and gas bill. There are these seemingly complex, intractable global challenges like the climate crisis that get caught up in those other things and we seem to go around this cycle. I've said many times the pandemic didn't cause these, but it most certainly accelerated, compounded and exposed them. And so we find ourselves living as in-betweeners, in between the world as it was and the world as it is going to be. We are moving from one era to another. What one writer calls the gray zone is where we find ourselves. And I've said before, actually, for the church, this is where we thrive. We are good at being in-betweeners. It's our chosen specialist subject. We live as the people of God, citizens of heaven, but temporarily resident here on earth, called to live in the now and not yet tension of the kingdom of God. But in reality, it's hard. And it's become all the more real and raw for many of us following the death this week of Her Majesty the Queen. If there was ever any doubt before this weekend that this is what we're going through, I think her death very much confirms it. The second Elizabethan era has ended just at the same time that many would say the secular project has come to a grinding halt. So welcome to church <laughs> and welcome to a new ministry year. It's going to be great. Actually, and I'll say more about this as we go this term when we think about the vision for this place, but actually these are good times to be alive for the people of God, but they're hard times. And so I wanted us to begin this term asking the question, what does it look like to have a resilient faith in times of uncertainty? What does that look like? Where does it come from? And it didn't take me long to think as the news broke on Thursday, I don't need to change the teaching series that we've got planned. Because actually, if anything, it's all the more potent when we think about uh, the loss of the Queen. And actually, we'll be enriched as we weave in reflections on her personal faith in Jesus and how it fueled her work. So if we want a, a real-life example of what resilient faith in times of change looks like, we look no further than her, I would argue, for an exemplar. She is rightly being celebrated 
and honored for her extraordinary life and service. She served faithfully over 70 years. She saw huge change. But throughout that was this constant for us. She modeled true servant leadership the way that Jesus modeled it for us himself. Selfless, sacrificial. She led with a humility and an integrity and a grace that is rarely seen these days. She fulfilled her duties right to the very end. There's a photo here, the last official photo taken of her on Tuesday morning. Look at that smile. Queen Elizabeth impacted the whole world. 94% of the global population was born after her. We've not known the world without her. And she did that with a quiet but constant influence that came out actually ultimately as an expression of her character and her faith. And it brought stability and comfort and assurance. And so it's no surprise that there's a collective global sense of loss of the person, even if you have questions, theological or philosophical, about monarchy and all that it represents. And I would argue that this was all possible because she had a resilient faith in Jesus Christ. A faith that actually seems to have become more resilient over time. When you think about what the Queen had to go through personally as well as publicly, it would be easy to imagine her faith dwindling but actually quite the opposite. And as it grew, it helped her navigate her own times of uncertainty as well as lead us through many collectively. She became increasingly unapologetic for her faith, more bold in her Christmas sermons, as I think of them uh, each year. So where does resilient faith come from? How is it formed in us? That reading that Ori read from the first letter of Paul to the church in Thessalonica is, I think, really helpful for us. And we're going to spend some time in it over the next few weeks. I want to suggest just two things this morning. Two things that I think we saw lived out in her life. Not because she was a monarch, but actually because she was a servant of Jesus Christ. You and I servants of Jesus Christ. She was our sister in Christ. And so it's good to emulate one another. It's good to look at one another, isn't it, and say, how can I be more like you as you pursue Jesus? Paul had the audacity to say that. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And there are two things, I think, that come with this, uh, this Christian faith life that she modeled that we too are called to embrace and live out in service to others. The first is deep faith. If you want resilient faith, you have to have a deep faith. If you want a tree to withstand the storms, the winds that come, their roots have to be deep. Resilient faith comes from deep faith. We didn't read the first chunk uh, of Thessalonians this morning, 1 Thessalonians, but uh, quickly that letter is broken into two chunks. The first three, verse, uh, three chapters are really Paul's affirmation of the church there 
and their deep faithfulness to Jesus, their outworking of faith. Now, he planted the church, and not long after, if you know the story, had to flee, and it's talked about in Acts. And so he writes to them, having heard from Timothy the wonderful news that despite their persecution, despite being this fragile new church, they had come alive. It had grown. It had transformed the city, and that people were being added to their number daily. He's saying, thank you and well done. He's kind of surprised, actually. He wasn't expecting that. And he's affirming them in those first three chapters that despite the persecution they experienced and the cultural pressure to water down their faith, to keep it private, they didn't. And many came to know Jesus. So we read these verses in chapter 1. Verse 3, we remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then later on, verse 8, the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. He's talking to people he went went to see them. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus. More of that in a moment. Notice the language here. Work produced by faith. Labor prompted by love. Endurance inspired by hope. This was evident, wasn't it, in the life and service of the Queen. Her personal, sorry, her profound public ministry, I would argue, was an expression of her deep personal faith. She resisted the pressure to water it down and to keep it private. And Jesus is clear in John chapter 15 that fruitfulness like this is the byproduct of abiding in him of his love in us and through us. John 15, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We know that the queen had a living personal faith. She practiced it. She was committed to personal prayer, to scripture reading, to gathering with others on Sundays in whichever church she was nearest to. She said this, there's a slide for this, For Christians, as for all people of faith, reflection, meditation, and prayer help us to renew ourselves in God's love as we strive daily to become better people. Resilient faith comes from deep faith. And there are essentially two choices for us when we find ourselves in uncertain times. One is to lean into the things of God. One is to say, God, I need to deepen my faith in you for these times. I'm going to trust in your ways, not mine. Your power, not mine. The other is to become distracted, to wobble and to wander, to doubt, to doubt God's goodness and faithfulness and take matters into our own hands. But resilient faith comes from choosing a deep faith, And actually, I would argue it's even better when we pursue a deep faith when times are easy and don't wait till the last minute. But resilient faith is possible for 
all of us. It comes out of that posture of trusting in the things of God, his goodness and his ways, despite the pressure of life. And so I want to encourage us as we set sail on this new ministry year, in this new moment that I think we find ourselves in, to choose to make sure we do the right things so that we abide with Jesus, so that we are known by him and know him, so that deep uh, formation can happen in us, so that we can stand firm and shine brightly in a time of uncertainty. Because it would seem to me more than ever that the world needs to see the people of God do the work of the kingdom produced by faith to labor for a new world fueled by love, to endure and to care and to serve because we have a hope in us. So that's the first thing. Resilient faith comes from deep faith. And I think we see that as we reflect on the life of Her Majesty. The second would be unshakable hope. Faith has to be built on something, right? It has to be based on something. And ultimately, Christian faith is based on the conviction that there is hope, that there's hope of life beyond this life. There is life after death. Tom Wright, the theologian, famously said, heaven's important, but it's not the end of the world. There is life after life after death. We have a hope that the world will be made new. There will be no sickness and suffering, no violence and injustice. And that unshakable hope that we have in Jesus gives us what we need to have a resilient faith when all the data suggests otherwise. And where we can live with a prophetic defiance as the people of God who can say we know a bigger and better story and we know how it ends. And so despite what it might seem, this is not it. There is cause for hope. Hebrews 11 verse 1, that famous verse, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Well, Paul in this chapter and this passage that Ori read uh, gives us the basis for this unshakable hope, this sure faith. It's very simple, he says. It's based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and the promise that that is to us, that we too will be raised from death when he returns in glory to judge the living and the dead and to complete the work of making all things new. He says this, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. But notice this, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That's political language about going outside the city to greet the coming king. It's not about heaven up there and earth down here, conversation for another time. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And so therefore encourage one another with these words. We are in a moment where it 
feels like there's little basis for hope, compounded by the loss of someone who provided a real sense of assurance and comfort. But actually, if she was here, the queen would want us to understand that it's all actually not about what she offered, but about the true king that she worshipped and served and what he offers. And one of my observations as we reflect on how people are trying to respond in this moment is that for many of us, whether we realized it or not, culturally, not us as the people of God, I hope, but for many people in our culture, the queen was a surrogate for God. She provided a covering and an assurance and a stability and a reassurance and a presence that we just knew was there. But actually, she would always say, no, no, it's Jesus. He's the true monarch. He's the sovereign one over all and for all. And my efforts were simply to emulate him, that you might know life and life in all its fullness. This was the basis of her faith. She said this, I know just how much I rely on my faith to guide me through the good times and the bad. Each day is a new beginning I know that the only way to live my life is to try to do what is right, to take the long view, to give of my best in all that the day brings, and to put my trust in God. I draw strength from the message of hope in the Christian gospel. Make no mistake. That was resilient faith. But the key thing is that we remember this was resilient faith of Elizabeth, daughter of Jesus sister of Jesus, daughter of God. And whatever our vocation, no one here, I think, lined up to have be a monarch anywhere, just checking. Whatever our vocation, the call is to lay down our life in service to the world, worship to Jesus. But to do it and to do it well and to do it faithfully to the very end requires a resilient faith, deep Deep faith based on unshakable hope. Ultimately, faith is the deeply held belief that God will keep his promises. And he's proven us, proven to us that in Jesus Christ's resurrection. And so unshakable hope is ultimately what theologians would call eschatological. It's about what will happen at the end of time. But it has a bearing on how we live in this moment. We live with one eye on the horizon, what Queen Elizabeth in that quote describes as the long view. The long arc of history bends towards the renewal of all things. Unshakable hope is based on what will happen when he returns because of what did happen when God raised him from the dead. You can build your life on that. Everything else is sand. But that is rock solid. And so, friends, just at this moment when we find ourselves as ordinary people going, what the heck is going on? I think the Lord is saying to the church, friends, now is the time. Resilient faith. Build your life deeper in me. Build your life more strongly on that rock of unshakable hope. Because in these times of uncertainty, People need to hear the certain hope of Jesus Christ.
unshakable hope means that we can live with certainty in a life and a world of uncertainty. We can live for something beyond this moment, beyond this life, and therefore live differently in this moment and in this life and offer to the world the person and work of Jesus. This deep faith and unshakable hope is articulated, I think, wonderfully in the powerful words we say when someone dies, someone of faith dies. May they rest in peace and rise in glory. There's a song that's particularly, uh, a worship song that's particularly special to me for personal reasons to do with the loss of a great friend many years ago now. And we sang this at his funeral. And this is the final verse. It's Phil Wickham's song, Your People. When we arrive at eternity's shore, where death is just a memory and tears are no more, we'll enter in as the wedding bells ring. Your bride, that's the church, will come together and we'll sing to the bridegroom Jesus, You're beautiful. This is a moment. I was going to say this anyway before the events of Thursday, but more so than ever, this is a moment for the people of God to have an eye on eternity's shore. It's captured, isn't it, brilliantly in the Chronicles of Narnia, in the books of Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings. They speak of this land beyond the sea, beyond the horizon. It's green and it's beautiful and it's pleasant. It's wonderful. That's the call. We're made for Jesus. There's work to do for him. But the real call is to live with that eye on them horizon, that moment that will come when we lay down our crowns before him. Confident that we will rest in peace as we pass from this life and that when he comes again we will rise in glory. And so if you are up for that life I'd love you to stand and I know not all of you can stand, so you may just want to stand in your hearts, but I'd love us just to consecrate ourselves afresh in this moment to worshiping Jesus, to serving his kingdom, and working together confidently for the things of the kingdom in this life because of our confidence in the life that is to come. And all of this is a work of the Spirit, right? all a work of the Spirit. It's the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. It's the Spirit that puts life in us. It's the Spirit that breathed himself out, poured himself out at Pentecost, caused the church to come alive. The strength we need, the discipline we need, comes from the Holy Spirit, the one that Jesus sent in his place. And so Paul prays over and over again, be filled. Be filled with the Spirit of God. So if you're up for this, maybe just 
Uh, if it's helpful, close your eyes, put your hands out. That's what I do, just to focus and, and adopt a posture of openness. And in the quiet of your heart, just say, come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. We'll pray for people later, but in, in this moment, it's simply about you before God. Asking him to give you his spirit. As you choose again to develop and pursue a deep faith. Ask him again to show you the promise of resurrection. Father God, I pray that in this moment, this cultural moment, this moment as we reflect on, her, on our queen who's just died, that actually what you do is get our attention again, where we're distracted. That you'd encourage us again to pursue you more deeply. And that you'd remind us afresh of the eternal hope we have and that you've put in us conviction that this world can be transformed by your love that we as the people of God can be a community of hope in uncertain times and that each and every one of us is called to that work and so as we worship you again now as the gathered body. I pray you get our attention. Capture us. Capture